0: Rocket, are you there, Rocket?
1: I am, Roscoe. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm surviving.
0: Welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks for joining in again, buddy. So, it's a couple of days past what I think was uh, one of the best US Opens in oh the last few years, arguably. But uh, I think you're pretty keen to download your thoughts on the tournament that we previewed in style last week. And um, just to reflect back on last week's efforts, the feedback was great. People loved seeing you in the flesh for the first time, knowing what the, uh, the rocket looks like. They, uh, <laughs> the response was good. So, um, yeah, and the response for the uh, Facebook Live was, was really positive. And that uh, episode last week of our US Open preview is up live now on YouTube I did put a little call out there for anyone to jump on and subscribe to the YouTube channel because it is something that we are going to endeavor to grow uh, both from an interview perspective, both from all of the stuff that I'm trying to do with our our golf, maybe a bit of golf course work, maybe a bit of club talk, and um, just anything that we can find interesting, we're going to chuck it up on YouTube. We'll even get Rocket out on the golf course and, uh, and do that as well. So Rocket, have you slept yet? Have you come down from the high of another series of all-nighters? Well, it's not a, oh, actually all-nighters because it was actually fairly palatable, the timing of this tournament. So what did you think, buddy? How would it go for you?
1: I watched every minute of it <laughs> and I think I watched some of it more than once. Uh, I haven't watched the final round again yet. Um, but... You know, you you made the point it's like one of the best US Opens for a long time. I think, you know, it was – helps the venue is one of the most beautiful venues on the planet. The course plays hard. They still set it up hard. It didn't blow, which was a little bit of shame because it would have been good to see a little bit of – a little bit of carnage there. But, you know, the course still ejected players that just weren't didn't have their games in top shape and the final day it was it was gripping from you know the first of the final few groups all the way through right to the end right to the very end and you know it was you know I'm, I'm torn because you know you and I've spoken about this and my man crush for for Brooks, it's just growing deeper and deeper with every tournament, with everything that he speaks about with the media and how he plays. And you know, it, it really took someone special to to take him down and it was you know, Gary Woodland, or essentially Brooks Kepka's body double, or if God was trying to make Brooks Kepka Gary Woodland was his first try. You know, the man played, like, a tournament of his life and the backstory to that man um, and just, you know, he's an all-around good unit. You know, he, hat, hats off to him because, you know, he's had his own trials and tribulations personally. He's had his own trials and tribulations from, you know, multiple leads in majors at least at the 36 hole mark and faltering, realising what he had to do and put in the work to get there and this is the reward for that effort. So you really can't fault, fault the guy for you know, winning. He didn't win with any unfaltering. faltering. He won it with his own grit. Some of the shots he hit on the back nine um, you know, he just put his big boy pants on and, and hit some just real clutch shots. It's just it's just awesome really it
0: was I'm still shattered for Brooks but uh, uh yeah he's already won he's won a couple yeah, he didn't get the three the the three Pete but uh, I think if you were going to pick one of the guys one of the good guys to win uh, a tournament and a, and, a, and a major of course you know he would be in he I think by all accounts he would be in the players you know, top five picks of who they would like to see win, by all accounts, what you hear and read. And um, he certainly uh, presents as just a a likable, you know, professional, um, very solid character and obviously a very solid golfer. Just back to the tournament and the venue, you know, if there was an advertisement that had to be had for golf at the moment, you know, this tournament was, was it, you know, the the location, the scenery and the quality of the golf, which had uh, you know anyone with an inkling of interest in golf you know captivated for the full four rounds, not just the, the, the final you know nine holes on the, on the last day but the, uh, the ebb and flow through the full four rounds was just fantastic. Now back to Gary Woodland. Um, great winner. Wilson staff player using the new Wilson staff blades in his bag for not the first time, but he's only, only recently moved to those. If you haven't seen the Wilson staff blades, you should check them out because they are just one of the best looking golf clubs that you'll ever see. Um, yeah, what a win, but I feel for you cause you know, your love for Brooks Kepka is obviously growing rocket and, uh, you've made no secret of it. And, uh, like many, he's endeared himself to you, and he put up a great fight. Like it was there, it was there for his, him to win. You know, with the pressure that he should have, could have been able to apply, and started to apply on that last day, but he just didn't. He didn't get the job done this time, and I think that went against what we were all expecting. You know, after that first. First, how many holes? Uh, where did he have that run on the uh, first, first six? Holes?
1: First, first, first five.
0: First five holes on, on the last day. You know, I think everyone would have said, here it comes. But um, to Gary Woodland's credit, he just held on and played some spectacular golf, uh, I, I think, especially under the pump over those closing holes where, you know, you're either going to stand up or fall over. And, you know, the three would into... Uh, what was that 14, 14. you know oh the,
1: my goodness people don't know how hard that shot is
0: so like, you've played it what happens to, you know put, put us in the mind's eye of Gary Woodland in that shot with a three wood in your hand
1: so he's only leading by a couple I think it was Brooks' is part 14 after he said probably one of the worst wedge shots in about three years but he comes up to fourteen. Fourteen's that par five. It's long. It's in the afternoon. It's playing into the wind. The air's heavy there, so it doesn't fly. You know, any further. Uh, you've got a big sloping right to left fairway, and you've got to cut your driver. So it's complete. It's just counterintuitive to the shot you're trying to hit. So he's, he's trying to maintain his lead. He's hit this big par five. He's absolutely hit a smoking tee shot, like crunched it. Big booming cut um, over the corner and finished up in the left-hand side of the fairway. And he had 270 yards to the pin, cut back left over the trap. And that, from where he was going uphill, it's probably playing at 300 minimum, and it's into the wind. And he's hit this three-wood. I'm thinking he's just trying to blast it up the right-hand side or something like that, or maybe he's trying to just try and smash it up into the trap, just short, and um, try and just get it up and down from there. But he's gone for it. And what people don't understand is that that lie and that fairway even still is the ball's a couple of inches above his feet. So he's trying to hit uphill. Into the wind, so back left pin off a hook lie, and I've hit a three wood from that shot off a hook lie, and I've hooked it out of bounds. Out of bounds is twenty yards left of that green.
0: So not that and far. Not that, have, not that far, really.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. When you think about the club you hit, the you know the dispersion. If you hit a if you pull a three wood, twenty yards is not a lot of distance. And he has absolutely just ripped one, flew it over the trap, up on the top, landed it up, and it just ran through the back. little up and down makes a birdie. That, that right there, I think that's where he's just gone. It was the, you know, I, I refer to it as like the Phil Mickelson moment, like Phil Mickelson um, on the 13th hole in 2010 saying to Bones, I know at some point in this tournament I'm going to have to play an amazing shot to win it under the most extreme pressure and execute it well, he had that mo- – that was that moment. That was that moment for him and he, he just knew he had to do something to just maintain maintain his lead and his pressure and holding that and forcing Brooks to do, you know, unnatural things. And it was like, – I still can't believe he hit it that far up that hill. It's like it's crazy how long yeah. that is. It's crazy.
0: Was it the next hole that he missed the green? Did he get up and down from there? Uh, i
1: 15. Now, 15, I think he sort of blocked it. No, oh, he smoked one down the middle with his stinger. He still, I think he still hit it on the green. Missed the putt. 16, that was another one. He hit the green. 17 was where boy he missed it wide. Again, that was another one where he said this clutch chip shot. Chipped it up from on the green. Like, it was in the worst spot possible and he's hit just this amazing shot. So crisp. So crisp. Like, it just shows how, how, how on his short game was because he's just hit just this absolute just perfect little, like, a low spinner just over the tier and rolled it down into just, you know, almost tapping distance to make par. Was If he, was if he, it? Makes, if he makes bogey on that hole, you know, you know tournament could be different.
0: Because the lead was only one there, was it not? Uh,
1: no, I think it was two, it was two. and you had – he was on 17 and I think Brooks – if Brooks had birdied 18, so here's the thing is that I reckon if he'd birdied 18, the roar would have come down mm. and then, then the lead would have only been one. So the potential of um, Woodland making a bogey um, mm. obviously it escalates because then all of a sudden he realises his lead's not two anymore. So who knows what could have happened. But still, just to execute the shot.
0: That, that, that was—he
1: really,
0: I'm was just going to say that was a fantastic chip shot on 17, but it wasn't the best
1: one that we saw from that <laughs> position. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't, Shane, pro- to be sure, to be sure. It
0: wasn't enough to probably get the, um, the every bar in Clara O'Falli, County O'Falli in Ireland shouted, but it was a bloody good shot. Uh, our boy Shane Larry. Yeah, chip. it was. Imagine chipping off the green. Imagine, imagine chipping off the green, chipping off the green in a big tournament and and holding it out. But chipping off the green, like, yeah, you know, you've got to have some chutzpah to do to do that. Do you, do you think they worry? Do you think they worry about taking a little fillet? Yeah.
1: You know, do you think they care? No, I don't think they care. No. No. Okay. Greenkeepers, uh, course superintendent's nightmare.
0: Imagine if you and I stumped up. <laughs> At the at Peninsula, it just took a little filler there, because <laughs> there are certainly some ho- just digress on the U.S. Open, but there are certainly some holes down there where with uh, those bunker tongues that um, you couldn't be one side of a bunker and, and not have a direct line to the pin. Imagine, imagine.
1: Uh, I I nearly did it on the third third north.
0: Imagine just rocking, rocking up with me rocking up with my lob wedge and. Blading it into the grass or oh, juice there'd be a letter coming so think, up. It,
1: so think of think I did it uh, a few months ago three north pin was front left I've hit it back left so you got that ridge going to the going the opposite direction and then you got the trap oh, yeah. I finally pulled out I've nearly pulled out the 62
0: mm. <laughs> um eight north eight north on the the um, no, sorry, seven north, the par three, has the left hand side tongue. You know, oh yeah. Yeah, so they sometimes put the pin over there, and it's the un, unattackable pin. Well, we, yeah. we were playing the other week, and the pin was front front side, and my guy hit it to the back side to that back tongue. <laughs> so he had, he, he had to he had to do a three point putt, and he, he and to funny. his to his credit, he two putted it. It was it was um, most unbelievable two putt, but. That was lob wedge territory. Anyway, we digress. We digress on the chipping off greens. Back to Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open. Um, so he comes down eighteen. He just what does he do there? Iron, iron. Yeah, he changed
1: his strategy. Yeah. Just hit his hit an iron, iron, and then just had a wedge in, and then just finishes it off with just a just a just rolls in a ball.
0: So I guess that brings us to the where you are going to shine on this podcast is some of the stats that you've compiled. And I just want to give a little bit of a shout-out to one of the listeners who I've played golf with today at the um, beautiful Freeway Golf Course. Struggling a little bit with the wet, but we just had a little bit of a social round with some of the lads down there at Freeway Golf Course in Melbourne. And uh, Scott Jamison, Melbourne City captain, he loved the last podcast and loved all the stats. And I said, oh, did you like Rocket's stats? He said, oh, mate, I love the numbers. Uh, and, and he started rattling off some of the stats that you had mentioned, but it, it, it prompted him. He was telling me the stats that we spoke about last night. He was already telling me them. I said, this is all the stuff. Oh, really? That I, yeah. This is, so he's into it. So um, there was a good little bit of feedback. And Scott, when you listen, there you go, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, so some of the stats: putting dropped a long bomb, tough one to drop at the best of times. Yeah, okay, a little bit of the pressure was off. He knew he had it in the bag, but still, a great way to close out the tournament. And not many, not many dudes are able to do that. But where was it won and lost for these guys? Um, there's,
1: a, there's a couple. I right? see. So, you know, back to Gary Woodland, and you know, as much as I like Brooks, I've got to try and be cognizant of um, shining a light on Gary Woodland's play because, you know, I could make a whole podcast just on, on Brooks at the moment. So, you know, I referred to him working on his short game, particularly his putting. And, you know, he's been started doing work with Pete Cowan. You know, he's like the, the putting whisperer. And it really has shone through. So his statistics on the tour of, uh, from a strokes gain putting, you know, he, he was well, pretty much consistently outside of the top 70 on tour and he's moving his way up into the top 50 in that, in that category and it's really showing. And then, you know, he, for him for the whole week, so not only was his ball striking, you know, Tita Green, he's always been a really good ball striker. Um, so he finished, you know, eighth in strokes gain approach, you know, for the week. But his short game, you know, not only his wedge game, but his putting, his putting was just, it was really hot, you know, and it was a real contrast. We had Gary Woodland hitting, you know, striping it from tee to green and holding a lot of putts. And then, you know, the the contrast of someone who's also known as an amazing ball striker, but was really, you know, he had the army swing going. He had the left-rights for the whole week, being Justin Rose, but he was putting the eyeballs out of it. It was just quite ridiculous. Um, and really, it was – it was the difference was on the greens because um, Brooks' strokes gained. He was leading going to the final – on the final day and he ended up finishing second for strokes gain. I think he was gaining like an average of, you know, eight on the field for the week. But with the putter, he was ice cold. And I think I talked about it on the last podcast where I said, he just needs his putter to be warm. He doesn't need it to be hot. It was cold. It was ice cold. He, he nearly finished He finished 56th in strokes gained. He's actually losing 0.25 to the field per round. He was, he was terrible. And, and it wasn't, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a, um, he was putting bad. Oh, I still think there's a couple of factors where he he obviously wasn't reading the greens well enough. I don't think because there were too many of those ones that he was missing because he had lots of short looks. They weren't twenty footers that he was missing, you know, because he even led the he led the field in um, proximity to the hole for all the greens he hits in regulation. So he was hitting it closer than anyone, and. You know, I was, you know, you see it in the final round, you know, if you look at if anyone looked at the sixth and the seventh hole where he had the had the momentum where he's burning four of the first five and he comes up to the sixth par five and you got seventh. He's a potential to just be six under after seven and and tied for the league, or even leading by one. And he misses two short birdie parts. Like he had a bad bunker shot on six, but he still had a birdie part and just just burnt the hole. So it was lost on the greens for him. If he if he actually putted, we'll call it warm, he probably could have won by ten. Mm. Like he was hitting the ball so well. Um, and then, and you know, I talk talk about you know why I think that is because you think about a lot of these professionals. A lot of them in the in the in the U.S. Open, they play the AT&T, so they play they've been playing Pebble Beach every year for the last ten years. The one person who doesn't play at and is Brooks. And, you know, I know enough of those greens. You know, they obviously play a little bit different when they're cut shorter, but they can be a bit grainy. you know, you've got your power. So the conditions were quite stable, so they didn't burn out or anything like that. So they are rolling really well all week. But there's little nuances that will be in those greens that he wouldn't have any idea about. And you know, it's part of me thinking, was that actually, could that have been a, when you think he only lost by two, and he needs to roll a couple of parts. You know that. You know, just small detail can, can be the difference between winning and losing. Um, but yeah, it was definitely it was lost on the greens, and for him, it was even lost on the on the par fives. You know, he didn't birdie fourteen or eighteen for the whole week. That, you know?
0: that, that's a phenomenal stat, given given his ball striking prowess that we've witnessed. You know, in recent times. Not to birdie those two holes, uh, especially eighteen. 18. But, but at
1: the same time, I think maybe eighteen. Eighteen. I think he really struggled. He he had a little bit of the rights um, with the driver at certain times through the week. And I, I reckon because that 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 shot really calls for that really calls for like a hitting it at that um, hitting it at the tree and hitting like a soft draw off it. And that's not his natural shot with the driver. And if you're going to hit a cut up there, you don't want to be starting that out over the water. So th- there would have been a little bit of tentativeness because you saw a couple of times he finished under, finished one day, third round under the tree, another day, he finished right of it. But in the last day, he took three wood because you could you can turn that one over. And he smoked it up there and hit a good second in the green and then hit a bad chip.
0: Bad so chip. he probably, bad chip taught, he probably to- played it wrong bad chip, bad putt that cost him you know like not 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 to to yeah. flub, flub the chip and uh and then not even get a get the ball near the hole um it should have been yeah. a birdie there anyway so um what other stats uh have you pulled out from the week's events that the listeners may be interested to just uh just put into their little memory bank and uh, uh before they sign off on the US open and, and move on
1: uh, uh, well Remember, I talked about you know the, the tournament could be won and lost on between eight and fourteen.
0: Yes.
1: So, yeah, if we took it, take it just Woodland and kept uh, Woodland played that 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 stretch of holes in one under. And strange enough, he was not the best performed in that stretch. I'll get to that person in a minute. And Brooks played that stretch um, in one over. So, you know, you got a two shot difference here. Woodland birdied the last you know, to, to close it out. But essentially, you know, you've got that, that difference there. And then you can, if you went further down the track on, on other players that were thereabouts early or were trying to contend and they didn't, you know, they, they performed quite poorly through that stretch. So, you know, you look at um, Matt Coocher, he was plus six through eight to 14. Um, he was then also, you know, Jason Day, Plus six through that stretch. Um, You know the fraudulent physicist was plus five. Ricky Fowler was plus six. So you can see that if you know that if you're not playing well through that stretch of holes, you you were just nowhere near the top of the leaderboard. You just get absolutely ejected. Um, And but the person who I'm still amazed by his performance and should be applauded. Um, He finished that stretch. And he's probably one of the shortest hitters on tour, which is even more amazing. Um, so Chaz Reavy, who finished tied for third, gets himself a spot in next year's US Masters and invite uh, back to uh, next year's US Open. He finished minus four. Minus four, and this man can barely hit it. He, can, he was hitting um, hybrids into most of the, the long par fours out the back where other guys were hitting like, you know, five line at most. So to finish minus four through there, and on top of that, he was not—he was in middle of the field for for putting. So he just had this just really good ball striking round. He's just obviously just hitting a lot of fairways, hitting a lot of greens, making some putts, but making no mistakes. Like not making those. You know, there's one thing about Pebble Beach is that you can make a lot of birdies, but if you get yourself in the bad spot like legitimately actually take your medicine because you can make a double or a triple, which I saw very, very fast. You know, one of my picks, my my outsider picks, um, uh, Ian Poulter, <laughs> he was he was one under with like seven holes to play and missed the cut because he took, he made a he he missed the he missed the, the green on the third, the short third, mm. um missed it a little bit left. In just some in one of the eyelashes on that front trap, and it was just a horrible lie. And I think it took him only like two or three to get out. He made it. Tr- he made a quad, made an eight, like and basically just fell apart for the last few holes, and then missed a cut. That's it. Good night, nurse. Catch a flight back to uh, Woburn. That course, that course will sneak up on you and just it will rip you apart. Very quickly, and and it showed with some of those players. If you're not on your game, it, you know it will eject you and eject you hard.
0: Yeah, look, you were you were ahead of the curve there with uh, almost uh, rocket with your um, outsider tip of Ian Poulter, and I would have loved my boy Poults to uh, to finish it off, but he didn't. And um, but it was no surprise to us that come the last day, he was he was there or thereabouts, he, he was probably never going to win but uh, he was up there now another one that was up there, was when you talked about round of the day, and he came up in one of the previous podcasts I'm just trying to find where he finished uh, who was that? Our boy Marcus Kinold who won the British PGA and had minus 5 on the last day
1: that's impressive.
0: Pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Anyone shooting under par on that course is impressive.
0: Where did Marcus Kinhall finish? Doesn't matter. I'll find that. But um, what else? What else? Aussies. So my my. Pick- oh, lo- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. My, my, low
1: Aussie.
0: Low Aussie. I was. We were. We were right there, weren't we? Yeah. Oh,
1: Adam Scott. Oh yeah. my God. It's, my goodness! Talk about throwing it away uh, again on the greens. Again, you know he was, you know, finished fifth, 45th in strokes gained putting. He was fourth in strokes gained approach. So again, tee to green, absolute just, just blistering. And he he got off to a bl- absolute blinding start again into his round. He played the for the week the holes eight to fourteen in like two under, but. He, he was sort of up near the top. I think he had it like eight, nine under, with five holes to play. And on 13, he blocks it out of bounds, makes a double. Oh. oh, my goodness! And then on, he stands up on 16. He's got a two-footer for par, and he misses it, blasts it like six feet past. That's to make like a, you know, he has to make a six-footer for for bogey. Just one bad swing, and his putter again. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that was a perfect course for him to to try and the greens weren't massively sleek. Um, they're all like, very slopey, but you know, his putter is you know, I think I saw someone made a comment the other day, you know, Adam Scott's putting is proof that, you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> he's got the looks, you know, he's got the beautiful swing. You know, T Green, it's just perfect, but as a putter, he is He's as, he's as ugly as a hat full of monkey's bums.
0: Oh, that's a bit harsh. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, look. Keep going at he's him. bad. Keep, keep grinding out. And then,
1: him. then the other one, you know, Rory. I'm, I'm, I told you I, I had no confidence in him. And, you know, you think he's, he's six under. He knows that he has to get out to a blistering start and he makes double on the second hole. Like, what? <laughs> Oh, well, it's five years since he won his last major. Is he just going to be that guy that just hangs around, wins a few tournaments and stuff like that, you know? Wears his nice tight Nike shirts for the rest of his life. I, I don't know. Something has to change. I, I thought it had changed around the Players' Championship, but I haven't seen anything that gives me confidence that – he can be the player that he was at the end of 2014.
0: Look, there's one thing that's going to save Rory. That will be what? when he goes home. No. Nah. Port Marnock. Port Marnock will, will save Rory, but you've got another theory on Port Marnock. And it's got, oh, yeah, it's, got, it's, it's got something to do with someone who's from Port Marnock. So I think we Rory...
1: – It's got Brooks got, got written all over it. <laughs> and why is that, Roscoe? That's because Brooks Kepke's caddy, who he met when he took when he first cut his teeth in Europe, is from Portrush. Portrush is it's his not, home port, course.
0: Sorry, Portmarnock. I keep I saying Portmarnock. Sorry, Portrush. My bad.
1: <laughs> it's his home course. Brooks is going to have the luck of the Irish on his side.
0: So you're tipping you you'll we'll flick to the open now because uh, the build up now will be towards the open. You're you're already going to put yep. it out there that Brooks is, uh, yep because he's got the Portrush caddy, yep. Portrush local. There's only about it's already mad. there's only about thirty people that live in Portrush, by the way. It's, it's there's, there's not much up there other than the Giants Causeway and a couple of really really good top world class golf courses. There's not much there. Um, so you reckon that... They're gonna uh,
1: they're gonna embrace him. Do okay. you wanna know why? Because he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't get all um he doesn't want to go on, you know, the the late night T V shows after winning a major. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. He avoids them, never goes on them. You never see him up the top of um, you know the Empire State building, you know, with the trophy or anything like that. He's not on Jimmy Kimmel. He just gets on his net jets and goes home. Do you, think that, to,
0: do you think that if you did a little bit more of that, that in the press conferences run by the USPGA, they wouldn't call him Bruce anymore?
1: Oh, that's what I mean. I, Can you believe that? I, cannot, I still, you know what? I love it because it gives him another chip. Because first of all, he had the start of the week where they didn't have him in the – Fox Sports didn't have him in the promo and he was mad about it. So he's just going to pick on anything to motivate him. He still have, he has his beef with Brandel Shambly about the body shaming stuff from back at the US Open, or PGA. So, oh, the, and now he goes to his interview and the the guy from the U.S. USGA introduces him as Bruce Kepka for the second year in a row. Oh, oh, he's like, I'm getting no respect. So he's going to be mad. I love it. We've got five more weeks. He's going to go in there with his Irish caddy. The Irish people that go, do you know, what? Brooks is just one of us. Bang.
0: Well, it does all very, very well. I do think that, uh, you know, if Rory is going to lift, it will be in his home country in Northern Ireland.
1: I actually don't think he'll cope with the pressure. Really? Yeah. He'll. 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 he'll He'll do something. Average jury. He'll be thereabouts, and he won't really contend. And he'll just backdoor top ten.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we'll I'm,
1: go- I'm going early. I'm going early.
0: Yeah. Well, leave a few, leave a bit of uh, powder in the cannon for uh, for us to talk about in the lead up to that. There's, there's, there's a number of tournaments that uh, I do want to talk about in the lead up to that.
1: Uh, can I say one more thing?
0: Yeah, you can say Sorry. as many things as you want. This is your podcast, mate. I'm just sitting there pressing the button.
1: I think people are underestimating what Kepka did. He won the US Open in 2017, defending champion, wins it. So he goes back to back in 2018, one of only four people to have done it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. He rolls up being the best player in the world on an absolute tear in the majors for the last four years i go in the stats about where he's finished on that. But even just his last four events, if you go from 2018 US Open, he's gone first, then he's gone tied for 39th, first, second, first, and he finishes second. So he's going for three in a row. The last person to win three in a row, Willie Anderson in 1904. Like he was about to make history.
0: Not history. History since 1904. And he nearly did it.
1: Or mm. You think about all the pressure on the world. I'm the world number one. And he's chasing history, and he he treated it. He was just he came out of the gates like a bull and competed as hard as he did all the way to the end, and finished second. I think what we're witnessing, and this is why I love him even more, is he's not he's 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 a legitimate just an ultra competitor. He's an ultra competitor. I love it. I absolutely love it he nearly created history and I reckon he's going to look at it and go, do you know what? He he may have gone, Oh, you know, I missed out, you know, great on Gary likes him and Gary, good friends. But I reckon inside he's like, damn, I missed a bit of history. Yeah. Yep.
0: No, you're right. Um, you know, if there is an, an American golfer that can win in Europe and we've talked about it before, it's him because, you know, the reason why we shared the love for Brooks is for me that he did cut his teeth in Europe. And, uh, and I'll always hold him in very high regard for that because um, I love Europe and I'm a very big fan. And but I think it just is another insight into the into the way that he thinks, you know, as a global player and you know someone who you know knows that to to be the best, he's going to have to win not only in the U.S. but he's going to have to win in Europe, um, especially at an open. Um,
1: well, he's done it, right? You, yeah, you know, that's where it's, it's like his hometown, and I reckon the fans will come out and appreciate that. He won Rookie of the Year over there, so the Henry Cotton Award for Rookie of the Year in, um, on the European Tour. You know, they'll appreciate the fact that he's gone and cut his teeth over there. Uh, and the other reason I, other reason I pick him, and I, I was thinking about this. This is another stat thing as well. Is that you know since 2009, so in 10 years, there is only a handful of people that have won multiple majors so essentially we're getting a new winner most of the time like 80% of the time it's a new winner and they win one and that's it so you think about even going back to like you know Jason Day's 1-1 Justin Johnson's 1-1 Justin Thomas's 1-1 Justin Rose's 1-1 like there's all these amazing players that we talk about being contenders they contend but they don't win Mm. Brooks has come out he's won four the only other person that's won multiples in in the last five years is Jordan Spieth and then prior to that if you go before that it's right, Rory so you've got this small small pocket of players that are shown they will go out and win multiple majors and out of the other two that have won multiple majors they haven't demonstrated they're going to be winning again and so I almost can't see anyone else. It'll be someone new that hasn't won a major that might win. Mm. It's, it's either that or Brooks.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, the, it's no secret that the Open tickets sold out 12 to 15 months ago. So, you know, you can't, you can't buy an Open ticket. When I went to the Open in Troon in 2016, you know, we bought our tickets on the Wednesday. Of the practice round and bought the, the four weekend pass, you know, one minute before we got on the bus, right there, you, you you couldn't buy a ticket for the last twelve months to go to the Open in in Portrush, and I've not been to Portrush, you know, I I wasn't allowed. <laughs> we went sightseeing, we went to Giants Causeway, which is just down the road, and the sign for. Portrush Rush was there and I looked at it and I so wanted to make a left hand, a right hand turn and turn down there and go down there. But we had some driving to do and I couldn't do it. So I didn't go there. But, um, yeah. and, and I'm not being facetious when I say there's not a lot out there. You know, it's a good couple of hours' drive out of Dublin. Um, the next biggest town is Coleraine, which is a, you know, just a big, you yeah, know, just a country town type thing. You know, th- and uh, and then Derry over on the on the border, um, it's a fair sized town, but there's but there'll there be a bazillion people there, and they proved that it's when they, when the Irish Open was in was at Ballyliffin, which is just think about Portrush at the top of Ireland. If you come down across the border and into Donegal, and you know where the coastline sort of weaves around, Ballyliffin is just maybe an hour away from Portrush. Um, so the Irish Open was there last year, and they had thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I don't know how they do it. I, I do not know how they get the people in and out, but they obviously do. And uh, it's a credit to the to the Irish people that they just turn up. Um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be unbelievable. And the and you, the Irish well, Open's gonna what's be. gonna be? Un- Sorry, go on. Yeah, go on.
1: Well, the the amazing thing. So you know, you know oh, I reckon it was just one of those things where it's going to Ireland for all Portrush. You know, just a legendary course. <laughs> Um, so it's really the first time it's really been out of the normal rotor of courses. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, um, not only the you know, Irish people itself, but even, you know, Greater Europe and all these other people that are real fans would have been like, oh, my God, it's going kind of to rush As soon as tickets are going, we are going because people would have just made a tour of that. But then the only, you know, I know I've complained about the moving of the majors, the one bright, bright spark of the PGA being moved is it means that the last major of the year is at the Open? The yeah. Open Championship is the last major of the year. When you think about, you know, R&A, Home of Golf, St Andrews, and stuff like that. You know, one of the oldest championships in the world, the Open Championship. That being the last major of the year, I don't know it's just something feels right about that. Absolutely. It's like, it's like the yes, the change in the schedule feels weird, and I don't understand it, and I have my own issues with it. <laughs> but the flip, the flip side is that it feels like this last you know it being the last major of the year it's 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 like it makes the world feel right again
0: so. <laughs> we'll get you we'll I'll, get, I'll look, we'll get look you there the by, yeah we'll get you there by next year to get your head around when the fall of the majors are now mate but uh <laughs> I agree that the open being the last one is uh is a, is a real is a real positive um you know, and a great climax to that part of the season because that's it's after that you know that that it lulls a little bit and yeah, you know, then finishes into you know the other topic that you sort of have your own opinions on is the the run of the FedEx. So um,
1: think about FedEx Cup. Think about this. Think about Brooks Koepka's year. Mm. He's third in the FedEx
0: Cup. Yeah, it doesn't quite seem right, does it?
1: Third.
0: <laughs> and who's first? Oh, 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 who's oh, fir- who's um, first?
1: Who's um, first? Um, three drops. <laughs> Three drops Kucha.
0: Oh, dear. He had
1: another rules thing, complaining about non-impressions in the fairway, and some USGA PGA Tour official overruled the other one. It's just a crock. is him and the fraudulent physicist. Please.
0: <laughs> so, mate, um, there's another big... Uh the tournament on this weekend coming up, one that you're quite uh, keen to watch. Which one's that, mate? The Which women's
1: one? PGA, the women's PGA yeah. at Hazeltine National in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, amazing!
0: So, what excites you about that? Uh, the quality of the women's golf and Hazeltine. Hazeltine. What's uh, Hazeltine famous for, mate?
1: Oh. It's probably one of the greater golf courses up in the, the north, far north sort of Midwest um, parts of America and one of the – can be the coldest places on the planet. Um, but for me, you know, I'd heard a lot of things about Hazeltine. So that was, I think, the first time it made its uh, – in the U.S. Open road, was 1970, which was um, won by Tony Jacklin. So was the first British person to win a, a U.S. Open. Uh, I think it was referred to as a cow paddock. Um, they made some renovations to parts of the course and they played the US Open there again in 91, um, which, so the first time for man and it was just, that was another one. It was an amazing US Open. So that was um, where Payne Stewart um, won his first US Open um, and in, in a playoff with Scott Simpson. Um, and just the course, just, uh, you know, some of the holes, like the 16th hole, the par four that goes like right along. Oh, I can't remember the lake that it, that it cur- car, uh, curves around, you know, hitting over water to this really tight fairway to this green that's really narrow and you've got water around the back and the sides. Um, I just remember some of the shots that Payne Stewart was hitting into there during the playoff and in the final round. It was, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful course, just beautiful part of the country can be really tough. Like it was really tough. I think it was only um, that, that was like only a couple under, and then that was also then the side of. I don't think they played a major there again until two thousand and nine, which was where Tiger lost to um y. first time he'd lost a 50, yeah, to fifty uh, to Yang. Wai Yang, yeah. Still hit one of the most amazing shots in my life. That three wood standing outside of the bunker when the ball was no three iron from. Inside the bunker when he's standing outside it on the ninth hole, he's hit it to like eight feet. Like, but I still can't fathom how it's possible. Um, I don't think it's in any of the men's. Oh, they played the Ryder Cup there a couple of years ago.
0: 2016,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, One of my mates actually went to that Ryder Cup and um, he said it was the atmosphere mm-hmm. around that course, he said it's like nothing he's ever experienced in his life. Could He said it can't even describe what it's like. He said it's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, just one of those courses where it just I think about all these little, you know, the first time I saw it is 91. So I was still only a bit of a, a whippersnapper back then and just remember watching Paige Stewart and different players playing that year. It's just um, just good memories, really. And then, you know, the women playing there. So, you know, it's really good that the, the women's tour – they just – or in the sport, supporting organisations like the USPGA just played at these really great events. I mean, great courses. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to watching this actually because, you know, the only thing we've got on the other side is, you know, the men's one, which is the Travellers, which is um, it's TPC Highlands or something like that. You know, Brooks is actually playing that and a few others. It's got a pretty good feel, but I don't know. I'm a bit bored with that. I'd rather watch the women play this amazing course. Um, you know, you think about some of the players that are playing in there. So you've got Brooke Henderson. Um, oh, who else was I talking about? You know, we've got Minji Lee. You know, Lexi's been in form. The quarter girls have been in form. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see how, um, you know, the rookie, so the one I have a lot of interest in, Maria Fassi, how she plays. Um, there's another young girl there, another American girl there um, who's actually also a, like even longer than Maria Fassi, um, Alice, no, Angel Yang, Ying, Ying, no, Angel Ying. Like, um, I listened to a different podcast with her. She's funny as, she's been a pro since she was 17. Um, so, you know, there's a few different players I'm just going to take a keen interest in following and I think it's just going to be an amazing tournament. So, hope all the listeners sort of maybe flick down a channel and turn over to the uh, the, the women's tournament and avoid the PGA stuff because it'll probably be boring. Bit of bombers golf with the PGA when I mean, we can watch some actual proper golf.
0: And in Europe, we've got the BMW at uh, in Munich, München, Eichenreit, or something like that. Uh, it's, it's got a, it always draws a good field. So you know, pretty much most of the. The big names that you'd expect from Europe are playing there. Um, hard to tip a winner in that one. Could be anyone. Who do you think? Who do you think? No idea. No idea. No. Okay. Listen,
1: I think. I, th- I think. I think. With all the stats and all the digestion I've done of the U.S. <laughs> Open, and then thinking about, I've e- I've even started thinking about 2020 at Wingfoot. You know, and and you know what Brooks Koepka is going to do there. I'm thinking about the women's PGA. I'm thinking about what Bryson's going to do at the 3M Open. You know, the Post-it Post-it Notes Open. Um, up have been—I don't even know where that is. I think that's in Minnesota again. You know, so he's the ambassador for the 3M Open. You know, he's going to mm-hmm. go up there and learn about all the science that 3M are doing. God, he's a. Oh. Um, so they're all the things that have been digesting. So I apologise if anyone that really likes the European Tour that I haven't been able to add much value there, but there's a lot going on in Rocket's Head at the moment.
0: <laughs> Very clearly. Uh, Golf club Munchen Eichenleit, who, who we've got. We've got uh, so there's a few Aussies playing in that one, which, I, which, uh, which we should highlight. So Dimi Papadatos has been touring around the European Tour this year with his European card. Uh, Sam Brazel, um, Dan Lawson is playing in the BMW and we've got uh, Adam Bland playing in the BMW. Mister, um, uh, um, uh, The boy from Western Australia. What's his uh, name? Um, best short game, best bunker. Which, the best bunker player. Uh, Rumford. Brett Rumford's playing. Um, oh, my God. Jason, oh, I, remember, Jason,
1: I remember Brett. I remember Brett Rumford when he was like sixteen. Was he it? was his his short game when he was sixteen was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it well, still is. Um, Jason Scriven is playing, so there, there's a few Aussies representing there, and um, you know it's a it's a good mixed Feel a lot of the, a lot of my boys from Scotland are playing there. Uh, Jamison, Stevie Gallagher, um, Davy Law, who won the Vic Open down here at Thirteenth uh, Beach, is playing. Um it's Matt
1: Wallace playing. Uh, Xander shofley's best friend.
0: Can't see that. Um, Grant no. Fox. Grant, no. Fo- Grant Forrest, no. representing Craigie Law Golf Club, is uh, playing. I'm, I'm talking about Scotland because I'm f- in full preparation mode for the uh, September jaunt to Scotland uh, rocket. And the, the, the golfing calendar is starting to come together for the trip. And uh, Mr. Forrest's course at Craigie Law, that will be on my radar and will be playing there. And I just saw something come through the interwebs. There's a 50 pound open tournament at Royal Aberdeen. Now it's not often, it's not often that you can get to play a course like Royal Aberdeen for anything under 200 pound. But, uh, when they have these open tournaments, which they have quite often over there. And it's a, I'm not sure if it's unique. It's certainly something that we don't see here, but Saturday open tournament, 50 quid. Anyone can, it's open to the first 120 that, that enter. So, uh, I'm trying to enter that. That'll be a bit of a day trip up to Aberdeen and back. Who else is playing from Scotland in the BMW? Richie Ramsey, uh, Mark Warren. Uh, Yeah, a few Scots, but um, David Howe, Murray, uh, um, Ollie Fisher. Matt Wallace is playing. Uh, Matt Wallace is playing, of course he is. So I'll
1: tell you the story. So at the US Open, Matt Wallace and Xander were playing. I think they played together in the first two rounds. Might have been on the third round. Matt Wallace has rolled one in on the seventh, a decent length part. Crowd's gone wild. He's thrown the ball up to the crowd, and I think they might have still been a little bit ruckus. And Xander, oh, young Xander, he got really mad at that and got really pissed off, vocalised it to Matt Wallace. Those two didn't speak to each other for the rest of the round. And I, I can't remember if it was Matt Wallace or it might have been Xander, I think it might have been Matt Wallace, refused to sign Xander's scorecard after the round.
0: So how did they sort that out? Was it Car Park Now? Hey. Or, you know, like, let's go and
1: sort no, it was No, it wasn't, it wasn't Greg Norman, Paul Azinger, Car Park Now style. Right. Um, oh, I think he just he refused to shake Xander's hand, didn't speak to him for the rest of the round, and refused to sign his scorecard. Because I think whatever Xander said to him and how he reacted with Matt Wallace going to hold a punt, and he threw the ball up to the crowd, that's all he did. How Xander reacted obviously yeah. has touched it as, I call it, a bit unprofessional and touched a raw nerve. And Matt Wallace is like, I don't have to take this from you, young whippersnapper.
0: No, not at all. Don't mess with Wally. He seems like a decent decent fella. So, um, yeah. no, mate, before we wrap it up, uh, we shared something <laughs> – in the ongoing discussions with Phil Mickelson. And
1: oh, it's so good.
0: Stories from the tour. He's he's now moved into the you know, top gear and he's humming on all eight cylinders. He's donned the Hall of Fame jacket. He's lit the candle and he's calling it <laughs> Fireside Discussions from the tour with Phil.
1: But Did you see how he wrote Fireside? I didn't see that. It was a pH.
0: Oh yes, no, of course.
1: <laughs>
0: Fireside discussions from the tour with Phil. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a bit of toilet humour, <laughs> it is quite it's funny. It's the best.
1: But he's warming up. I'm loving. I'm loving. Do you know what? The best thing is that you know he's scared. he knows he's at sort of the twilight end of his career, and. Like you think about some of the stories this man would have over the last 30 years. Like just for him to start telling these, it's just, it's gold. It's just gold. It's so good. Imagine the money. When you think about it.
0: Imagine the money he's going to make on the speaking tour. He'll just be oh, able to hold oh. hold a room anywhere in the world, and just be able to command, you know, whatever fee he wants, and um, just rock around the world in his jet and and talk and tell There's
1: stories. So many, yeah. He, he he would command a room anywhere. There's so many things, you know. I, I remember hearing. So when I um, got the opportunity to play at Olympic Club, oh, what was that 2014, 2015? Um, you know, some. Um, one of the members and his son were there. And I was hearing Phil's stories from the week, you know, in terms of you know the stories about him being a tipper. So anyone knows the Olympic Club; they have this they have this hot dog, but it's a flat dog. It's the best hot dog you'll ever beat you'll ever ever eat in your life. It's like a hamburger but in a hot dog bun. It's weird, um, but it's awesome. And they make it that way so you can eat it with one hand. So you get to the tent hole, there's a phone. There's a phone on the, one of these pine trees. You pick it up. You call ahead. Your order. And there's a menu inside the box. But you play the tenth hole, little par four, down around the corner. Get down to the the, the halfway house thing there, and you go pick up your pick up your um your grub and stuff like that. And then so what had happened during the during the U.S. Open in 2012, Mickelson would call. He'd hit his tee shot, and call. He'd order four. Four of these, like hamburger, hamburger dogs, he'd roll down there, he'd smash all four of them, and he, he tipped, tipped the girl there like a couple hundred bucks. Apparently tipped her like a thousand bucks on the last day because it was the same girl who'd been there most of the week. And Tiger rolled through, not a dollar. Because apparently Tiger doesn't carry money around. Phil's peel, peeling off the big greenbacks, <laughs> eating
0: four um, hamburger dogs a day. There you go. I heard another. Uh, I, I did hear another story about uh, Phil paying someone to leave him alone. Anyway, that's that's for another day. I'll find out. <laughs> I, like you know, I just want to. I just <laughs> want a hundred thousand. Yeah, someone someone annoyed him at a at a function, and. Yeah, you know, there was a discussion about money.
1: Oh, and no, no, Jake uh, Owen. No, I know the one. Oh my God, that is the best. Oh, it's, no, it's the recent one with Phil. And so, that was the one, one where Jake Owen spent like a hundred bucks on the pay-per-view for the match. Oh, you know, that's the one he, that him and Tiger played. Yeah. And he was a, Jake Owen's a mate of Jordan Speece and it was Jordan Spieth's wedding. Mickelson was there as well, and he's Jake Owen. The, Jake Owen tells the story, and it's the funniest story ever. So everyone, everyone has to look up Jake Owen, Barstool Sports, Phil Mickelson story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin it for anyone. All I know is it's the funniest story ever. And when it got tweeted out by the Barstool guys, Mickelson within 10 minutes replied it's true so it was like everyone thought it was like some sort of joke and Mickelson's replied on Twitter it's true and I'll just leave it at that I just want everyone to go Jake Owen, Barstool Sports Phil Mickelson, Jordan Speeth's wedding it's the funniest story you'll ever hear it's just, it's just pure Phil Mickelson and it's just gold it is just gold
0: I'll just say that it's got to do with him carrying around lots of hundred dollar notes just for fun. <laughs> anyway, it's the best. It's so, the buddy, best. anything else from you? That's an hour of uh, more quality from Roscoe and Rocket, more so from you because you are the stats man. This is your show. This segment. Um, anything else, mate?
1: Well, I'm glad that Mickelson, who's you know you know he's one of my faves, is carving it up on social media because my other childhood idol is making me more and more disappointed every day. The whole thing with the shark and the shouldn't have rapes in a bunker. what What's in the water up in Colorado? Like, has he been standing out in the sun too long trying to take photos in the nude on Instagram? I, I, what is going on with the man who I... I idolise and love because he comes up with some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. He just needs to – his wife needs to just take his phone away from him. He's horrible. just makes me so mad and sad.
0: It didn't make me mad and sad, but I did shake my head with some (laughs) question marks after watching it. Like It was just weird to watch because – Here's the shark, obviously in phone in selfie mode. Now, you know, there's. I think there must be a certain age where you get past being able to do selfie mode, you know, if there isn't, but he had the phone right up close to his head, just talking into well, the camera. It was just weird. Talking, and,
1: talking rubbish. And
0: then there was a little bit of, you know, okay, rubbish drivel um, going on about rakes in bunkers and how they shouldn't be there and, you know. Jack was
1: Jack, Oh, let's, 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 yeah. Um, Jack it, was know, right. The players get up in all the down and, you know, make it a little bit harder for them. How about fix slow play first? Correct. Like, like do something. Like, Greg. Just, I don't know. Go, go back and, I don't know, make a new bottle of wine or something. I don't know. Just go do something else. Just stay away from golf. Oh, I don't know. Go make another bloody kite park or kite surfing park or something. I don't know. No. Oh, um one last thing yes. let's go through Brooks Kepka performances in majors his first major 2014 US Open at Pinehurst rockhard pinehurst tied for fourth 2015 in order from the masters to the PGA tied for 33rd tied for 18th tied for 10th tied for 5th got form 2016 The Masters tied for 21st, tied for 13th at the US Open. Didn't play the British. Don't know why he didn't play the British. I think he was injured. Uh, Tied for 4th at the PGA. So all of a sudden we're seeing a little bit of a trend line here. 2017 Masters tied for 11th. Wins the US Open, British Open. Tied for 6th, PGA tied for 13th. Hurts his wrist, has surgery, and the US Masters in 2018. Then he goes 1st, tied for 29th, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd. Not he's bad. missed the cut twice out of 20 majors. Not bad. Five, uh, 10 top five finishes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then we have the fake, the fake physicist, the fraudulent physicist. He doesn't even have a top 10 yet. His best performance is a top 15 in the US Open, I think when he was an amateur. And he's gone... Cut, Mr Cut, Mr. Cut, type thirty first, type thirty eighth, type twenty fifth, type fifth first cut, type twenty ninth cut, type thirty
0: thirty fifth. Love it. It's awesome. Rod, right, my final question to you is we've already had one episode of the Roscoe and Rocket My Love of Golf podcast series called The Brooks Kepka Show. What do I what do I call this one? Because like, 'cause it's been the Brooks Kepka Show again, mate. I'm gonna have to. I have to put the the creative thinking hat on. Bruce. (laughs) Bruce Kepka (laughs)
1: Bruce. Call
0: it Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Oh, jeepers! It must be. It must be late on a cold Wednesday Melbourne night because uh, now we're just getting silly. So, mate, we'll call it there. Thank you for your great input. Obviously, very pumped about the US Open. It's been a great couple of podcasts for us. You know, it was. The, the, the preview was great. great fun. Good fun to this one. It's all about uh, when we move the run into the British Open. No, sorry.
1: We should have. It's not the British Open. We should actually have – no, it's the Open Championship. You, um, know, uh, you know how um, – It drives
0: me nuts. Get a bit... Mate, it drives me nuts as well, and I can't believe I
1: did it. Sorry, I apologise. Um, we should get Mike in. We should get Mike in because uh, Ma Rocket has already carved up. You know, she's already – sent over the short breeds.
0: Okay. Well we'll work Maybe on he it.
1: should be leading for the for the open, maybe.
0: Well, let's keep working on Mike. He is a hard man to pin down, but uh, we're going to talk about the Irish Open at Lahinch. We're going to talk about the Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club and we're going to talk about the Open at Port Rush. Royal Port Rush, thank you very much. So that's going to be exciting because uh, it's a part of the world that I'm passionate about. I have played one of those courses, and uh, we'll do a bit of a deep dive on La Hinch if we can. All right, mate. Let's call it on that. Thanks again. No worries. You no worries. Thank you. You were great. That's it. Another My Love of Golf podcast. Not the My Love of Podcast, but if you love podcasts, please <laughs> listen. If you do love My Love of Podcast uh, like us, tune in, subscribe. Podbean, CastBox, iTunes. iTunes. And all these other aggregators. uh, YouTube site. Love for you just to subscribe and help us uh, grow that. Thanks, guys. Until next time.